Welcome to Cut the Bull, an insightful podcast which addresses the news of the day and the cultural issues plaguing our society, bringing logic and context to these topics and discussing solutions too real for mainstream pundits. Now, here are your hosts, Charles Love, Shamika Michelle, and Wilfred Riley. Welcome to Cut the Bull. I am Charles Love. Hopefully my co-host who's running late will be joining us in the middle of the interview, but time is of the essence. And our guest this week is, you know him, he is the New York Times bestselling author of Bonhoeffer, uh, Amazing Great, If You Can Keep It, uh, dozens of children's books, and host of the Eric Metaxas Show. And his newest book, which was released this past Tuesday, October 19th, is Is Atheism Dead? Eric, welcome to the show. It's a privilege. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. And this is a very interesting topic. And I know it was probably based uh, somewhat of a riff on the uh, popular Time article, Is God Dead, from over a half century ago. That was, yeah, 1966. It was kind of a chilling thing. Mm -hmm. It shocked a lot of people in 1966 to ask in that kind of a, you know, bold-faced manner, is God dead? To ask that question and to put that in the middle of America's living rooms in 1966, uh, I think a lot of people were shocked by it. And my book is really intended to say what we have learned. It's not popular information. That's why I wrote the book. But what we have learned since 66 is astonishing, mind-blowing evidence for God. So now the real question is, is atheism dead? And I'm not doing that just to be cheeky. I think when you look at the information in the book, I think people will be shocked that science and other things uh, ha have, dis have discovered evidence for God that you're just not reading about in newspapers or hearing about on TV, but it's about time that we knew this is what science discovers, has discovered. This is not some Christian version of science. This is science. And so the real question is, is atheism dead? So that's why that's the title. So why now, though? Why is this the perfect time to, uh, to ask that question? Well, it. I think it's the perfect time, generally speaking, but I can't say I had anything to do with that. The timing of the book just happens to be that um, right at the beginning of COVID, I realized that I should write this book because in the previous couple of years before that, I'd met two men totally randomly, unless you believe in God, in which case it was God's hand leading me to meet these people. But it's kind of crazy. I met a guy in Albuquerque named uh, Skip Heitzig. I should say he's the pastor of a church in Albuquerque. And he led me to meet a man named Stephen Collins, who is a biblical archaeologist. You can, can you hear me? I was going to say my sound just kind of flipped out. So I meet this biblical archaeologist, and I got to tell you, he says to me that he's discovered biblical Sodom. And I said, what? What? Are you kidding? Like, that would be like the biggest news ever. Why have I not read that? That's like I discovered the Tower of, of Babel or something. Well, what do you mean? This is the first couple of pages of the Bible. This is like as, as old as it gets. You're telling me you discovered this. I looked into it without any question. I mean, this is just nuts. He flat out discovered it. Details, details, details. Scientists have corroborated this, even though they can't say it corroborates what the scripture says. But it's astonishing. So 
I bump into something like that. I meet a guy like that randomly, right? And I think, how is it that the world doesn't know about this? This is crazy stuff. So I think somebody needs to popularize that and let the world know about that. Well, about a year before that, I met another guy in Houston, a scientist, probably the top nanoscientist on planet Earth. And to cut to the chase on that one, he probably knows more about what's going on on a molecular level than anybody. And I mean, like, literally any, any scientist on the planet or close to it. And he is an on-fire Christian believer. And he says, Eric, for 70 years, science has been pretending that it knows how life came into being from non-life. Four billion years ago. On planet Earth, every scientist would say that there was no life, and then suddenly there's single-celled life forms, and then everything evolved from that. Well, forget about evolution. We could have an argument about that all day long, but put that to the side. Let's just talk about the idea that life came into being, little single-celled life from non-life. So my friend James Stewart says, what do you think science says about that? If you say to them, how did that happen? They've been working on this for 70 plus years. They have no idea. And they're never going to raise their hand and say, we have no idea. But he says, when I say they have no idea, I mean they have no idea. They thought they had an idea in 1952. They did some experiments, got some amino acids. They thought we're on our way. They had no idea that in the next seven decades, they, science, the more advanced science gets, and this is part of the thesis of the whole book, the more you learn from science, the more it points to God, the more it makes it impossible to believe life emerged out of non-life randomly, the more impossible it makes it believe that the universe was created with a perfect planet called Earth where we can breathe the oxygen and, and, and drink the water. And there's so much of this kind of information. So meeting James Tour on the science side and meeting Stephen Collins on the archaeology side made me think, I think it's time to write a book that asks the question, is atheism dead? Because if you just look at a half of this information or a third of it, you're going to realize uh, this this information is not making its way out there. Now that I know a little bit, I have a completely different view. And to to to, to just to finish quickly what, what I'm saying here, I want to make clear, since we've all been alive, the narrative has been that science is at odds with faith and that science is pushing God out of the picture. Well, look what happened. The more science got advanced in the last 50 years since that Time Magazine article, Exactly the opposite has happened. The more advanced science gets, the more we can see that there's no chance we just all came into being randomly. So science is being used by God to point us to himself. It's very ironic. I find it also very funny. It's at least fascinating and interesting. So I'm really glad I wrote a book about it because we need to talk about this. People need to know what is going on in our lifetime. It's exciting, but if you don't know anything about it, it's tough to be excited. So that's why I wrote the book. Well, there's two things to point out that you mentioned. One, the book is laid out interestingly because you have three parts. You say, does science point to God? You talk about biblical archaeology and then what's the truth? And two things you mentioned there that kind of intrigued me. Now, I would hope that people will read it, especially agnostic and atheist, and, you know, just, you know, challenge it, do whatever you want to do. But it's not about proving it. It is interesting, though. I thought about something, and you mentioned the point, that as we thought we knew things and we start to learn new things through innovations, through 
you know, archaeological digs, whatever the case may be. You have to say it's interesting that everything that is found points to, if not God, it points to the those to the people who to the atheists who say they're all fairy tales made out of air and they're not even based on any kind of reality. Every why is it you have to ask, why is everything that we find points to times, places, and people that are in the Bible, and that's in the, in the, in the uh, book. I mean, the, co the common sense answer is because the people who wrote the Bible were not blowing smoke. People who take God seriously and have a fear of God, they're not going to make stuff up. And you are right that archaeology has been corroborating what it says in the scripture for like 170 years, and it's getting more and more and more dramatic because you're getting more and more digging going on around Jerusalem. But it has become totally nuts. So I think that they're always going to be naysayers and skeptics. They're, they're, they're going to niggle around, you know, the little details and say, well, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Let me tell you something. On the face of it, anybody with common sense says this is astonishing. Every time we find something, it points to the historicity of the scriptures, which were written thousands of years ago. Doesn't seem like a coincidence. I mean, did you know that? I mean, I. I had just gotten saved in 88. A couple of years later, I read in the New York Times an article that they had just discovered a military plaque, a steel that referred to the House of David from Israel. Up until that point, up until 30 years ago, many people said, oh, the kingdom of David, that's like, you know, King, King Arthur and the round table. It's a mythical king. He never really existed. Well, suddenly we discover a 3,000 year old, you know, piece of stone that says, of course he existed. It goes on and on yeah. and on. People that, need to that leads me to my second point, though. You mentioned something else, too. Why is this stuff quiet? Right. We find it. You yeah. sound like you're talking about the 1800s. They found something in 88. Collins, you yeah. talked about with the yeah. um, with uh, Sodom is the 90s, I believe. Right. Yeah. So you're talking about things happening in the night in, in the 20th century, 21st yeah. century. And we don't hear about them. I don't remember hearing this stuff will, on the news. Well, first of all, anybody who follows me or my program. And by the way, please, for more information, just go to my website. It's my name, ericmetaxas.com. If you go to ericmetaxas.com. I sent out newsletters with more information that I, you know, we because we don't have the time to get into this here. But I want to say my whole life has been about what you just said, that once I got serious about God in 88, I became conservative. I started realizing I grew up in a world that would make it seem like the new me is nuts. All this stuff is made up. And I, I started reading books and more books and meeting amazing people. And you realize that, of course, the media narrative is controlled by people who are secular liberals. That's been the case for a long, long time. And they have some of them have a particular animus against the conservative view and God and others of them. They're decent people, but they're just going with the flow and all their colleagues have a certain view and they just go with the flow. So in 1966, when the article is printed, it says, is God dead? They all kind of got the memo. Yeah, all the big shots, they've kind of decided, like, we're not going to pay attention to this. So a lot of this evidence, when it appears, they're not moved by it. They just go, well, whatever. We've already decided the answer, the ultimate answer anyway. There is no God. So that's interesting, but it's not such a big deal. I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm here to say enough evidence has come in by now. We need to totally revisit this. And let's be honest. I would say... If you want to be an agnostic, I can respect you intellectually. We can have a conversation and you can tell me everything you hate about the Bible or about Christians or whatever. 
we could talk about something. But if you say, I'm an atheist, I know that there is no God, that is no longer intellectually tenable based on the evidence just in my book. And I'm just scratching the surface. But just based on that, atheism is no longer tenable. And the new atheists, Christopher Hitchens and Dawkins and those guys, they were very intellectually sloppy. I was I was astonished at how shallow and, and flippant they were about these big ideas. I don't know if they were just trying to sell books, but serious atheists have a very different view. The the people like Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus in the tw- mid-20th century, they saw the bleakness of a world without God. They took it seriously. And another big headline, those two guys I just mentioned, nobody knows this, at the end of their life, they both came to faith in God. That is like the craziest news I could ever say. When I discovered it, I just thought, I- I've got to be dreaming because these guys were world famous for their atheism. People are still reading all their books in colleges around America. Nobody knows that at the end of their lives, both of them said, this is not satisfying, and they turned to God. That, that, that alone you know, is worth uh, getting that information out there. Well, we'll get to what the atheists believe and those kind of things briefly. But Shamika, I want to get you in here and see what you want to say about either the title. You came in later, so we were just explaining why he wrote it, but the title or, you know, these these fines that you heard me talking about, about how, I mean, we didn't even get into uh, Hezekiah's tunnel and more importantly, literal um, New Testament uh, um, documents that, that tie to what was written at that time. But what are your thoughts on this? Oh, you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I'm interested in hearing what Eric has to say. I think the title of the book makes me definitely want to purchase the entire book and read it through. Um, I do believe that there is something greater than myself, so I don't have an issue with that belief at all. And I also believe that there are things in the Bible that actually happened. I do think that at certain times they put boosters on certain things, but I don't, you know, I'm not one of these people that says, oh, you know, this, this is a fairy tale. You know, I don't believe that either, but it's, it's been interesting just reading just a small little bit of information that we had about him that it makes me want to, you know, look and read the book as well. Well, I appreciate your saying that because to me, as a Christian, I say it's all about truth. It's not about Christian truth. If there's something that is not true, I don't want to believe it's true because my faith says I need to believe it's true. The God of the Bible is either the God of truth and he invented truth, or I really don't know what to make of the whole thing. And so what I find interesting is that the more you look into it honestly, again, there are people that are just angry. They hate the idea of God of the Bible. They don't want to hear anything. So if somebody comes with honest questions like you do and you say like, well, maybe this happened, but maybe they kind of exaggerated this or that. That's a conversation you can have. But when somebody says the whole thing is garbage or whatever, I know they don't know what they're talking about. I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm not going to be so gracious that I'm going to say, like, well, you have a good point. Many of the harshest atheists or many of the, the loudest atheists, they have an animus against people of God, against these ideas, maybe against the sexual morality or something like that. So they're not really interested in the details. And I'm saying you need to look at the evidence. You need to be honest about what the Bible says, about what science says. And I talk in the book about the founding myth of atheism, this idea that everybody knows, except it's not true, right? That Galileo was a brave scientist fighting against the church. That's basically nonsense. He was a profound Christian. 
more profound than most of the people who are fighting him in the church. And he knew that there's no such thing as what Stephen Jay Gould called overlap, non-overlapping magisteria. Like there's scientific truth over here and there's Bible truth over here. No, he said all truth is one. God's truth is, is going to be revealed in science. It's going to be revealed uh, in the scripture. So he was a, a serious Christian. And many of the people on the church side fighting him, they were really Aristotelians. It, it, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but the, the point is that this idea that science and faith are at odds and they've been at odds, that is garbage. It's untrue. And I even say in the book, this is really crazy because most people think, how come I've never heard this? It is Christian faith. This is historically true. You don't need to be a Christian to believe it. And non-Christians say it in my book. Christian faith led to modern science. That's a fact. In other words, we've had a lot of amazing cultures and civilizations and stuff. And I'm Greek, okay? So I want to say, oh, the ancient Greeks, they were doing science. But no. Modern science and the scientific revolution, which has given us the ability to talk to each other from thousands of miles away, everything from modern science developed as a result of a Christian worldview in the 16th and 17th centuries in Western Europe. That's historical fact. So the crazy idea that science is at odds with faith that's a that's what you call a lie and a very harmful lie and it's led a lot of people astray so i'm just i'm all about the truth if somebody has honest questions like let's get serious let's get honest but no more blokes no more smoke blowing on the idea that atheism is intellectually tenable it's not agnosticism of course is but real atheism from what i have discovered it's not even close i think we have to put that on the ash heap of history well i definitely think we need to kind of separate the two um and, and i've surprisingly kind of happened upon a lot more atheists and here's and and it's interesting though um and their views are like what you said i it, it it's the definition is different so i would say you got agnostic and atheist and they would say no we're atheists and then the militant atheists right so the people who are like happy that uh anything uh to say anything um negative about any religion the people who are hoping to find negativity the people who you know the, like you mentioned the four horsemen of uh neo uh, atheism and um but what would you say to people who who will agree with your biblical um archaeological finds and say that just means that the stories and the times were true but the stories that they wrote during those times didn't have to be true that that's exactly right and in this book i don't mean to say i can prove the bible is true or i can believe these are conversations i mean there was an article i mean i believe the bible is true but in this book i set out simply to say that atheism as atheism is dead if you want to have uh, conversations about what you just said, those are important conversations. I don't want to just take it on faith and go like, I just believe it, I believe it. I want to know what can we discover from the science. I'm not afraid to discover something. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not afraid. My faith is strong enough that I, I don't really have any doubt that God and truth are the same thing. So let's look at anything. And when I talk about the discovery of biblical Sodom, I mean, this is amazing. Nature, which is one of the premier academic journals of our time, 21 scientists over years analyzed the information at the place where they discovered biblical Sodom, which was destroyed by a meteor 1700 BC, whatever. Their findings were published about a month ago in Nature, very detailed, very difficult to read for a, a non-scientist, but they corroborate 
everything and at the end say there is no doubt that this is exactly like what's described in Genesis. But, and of course they have to say this, but that doesn't mean that the Bible is true. It means that something like this happened, which could have led to the legend, which they put in Genesis or whatever. You can have a conversation, but there are people who, they don't want to have that conversation. They just want to say the Bible is stupid, everything in it's wrong. And I'm here to say, folks, now you're on the wrong side of history. Now science especially, you're going to look foolish. So get serious. Call yourself an agnostic if you want, but don't say you're an atheist because it's like saying I'm a flat earther or I, I don't believe men landed on the moon. It's getting really, really dramatic. And that's just what I have in this book is atheism dead. When you start looking deeper, you, you start realizing th there's a lot that we haven't been talking about because we bought into this narrative that uh, God is dead or that God is uh, the enemy of science. Those things are not true. And it's, it's just about time that we be honest. and and get up on the facts so you can have a real conversation instead of like a, a cartoon argument. Right. And, and I want to get Will in here, but I do want to say about finding uh, historical evidence of Sodom, you know, you're going to want to read when you read through this book to do some 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 deep diving and looking some stuff up because there's some truly interesting thing. And one thing that stuck out to me was when they made the dig and they said they could still smell sulfur. And, you know, that just kind of it will blow you away. And um, but but Will, what do you think about the, you know, the, the book of this argument between um, atheists and agnostic and any of that? Well, I mean, I, I think uh, I think we all have respect for the great human religions. I mean, Eric's a devout Christian, as I recall, but I, I don't think you can disprove atheism per se. I mean, atheism is just a belief that there is no God. And I mean, breaking through, breaking down every competitive system, intelligent design and so on, and defining what a god is and so on seems virtually impossible to do. The best scientists and churchmen that I've talked to over the years generally don't don't really even attempt this. When you're talking about the question of whether the things in the Bible happened, my understanding has been that the view in archaeology for decades has been that they probably did. I mean, this goes back to uh, Schliemann, who thought that it was very unlikely the Iliad and the Odyssey would just, these great poems would exist in the absence of a Trojan War. I can't believe you're bringing up Schliemann. This is funny. I am so into Schliemann. Yeah, but I mean, they, so he went looking. Yeah. Yeah, the guy went looking for the historical Troy, and he yeah. found it. I mean, it, it was very, very unlikely that these my, stories. My next, my next book is going to be on this, actually. No joke. Uh what what you're saying, I mean, I, I know what you're saying, but remember, I'm not trying to prove that the God of the Bible exists. What I'm trying to say is that the the view, it's almost the binary view. There is no God. When you look at the fine-tuned universe, now remember, Christopher Hitchens said that's the number one argument uh, for the God side, okay? When you begin to look at that and when you begin to realize that Every day that passes, science amasses more evidence of fine-tuning so that you can't examine anything without thinking, this seems extremely calibrated to a level of perfection that couldn't be random any more than finding a watch on the beach. You'd say, well, the sand and the sun and the sea uh, and the wind created this. Like, it's a level yeah, of... Yeah, that's, that's, that's literally the watchmaker argument for God. Now, yeah. But I mean, I, I think that the, the response there would be... So the, the large majority of scientists, last I looked, it was something like 89% of hard scientists that yeah. analyze this data are atheists or agnostics. They'll, they vary. Agnostics, and the I can respect. I, well, can't, I would never want to argue. But to say atheism at this point, I argue... Well, and look, I argue in the book, you can see what atheists. it says. But what's that? 
The, the point was, it's not really a critical point. It's just that most of them identify as atheists. I mean, if you're offered um, the, the option, I think, in political science usually is atheist, agnostic, just other none, and then 10 or 12 religious options. Yeah. And the majority of scientists identifies either atheists, agnostics, or right. none. So, I mean, I think that th this is a fascinating conversation. The real question is, could 8 billion years of development, because obviously the world isn't 6,000 years old, could that have produced the beauty and perfection that we associate with a God? I think it's a fascinating conversation. Well, I mean, uh, but I, I don't, I wouldn't say my, my only point here is I, I don't see how, and I guess this is almost a question for you, Eric, how does demonstrating that the biblical stories are as true as say the stories in the libel Lungan laid, how does that demonstrate that there must be a God? That's, that's not what my book is about. That's the second part of my book. And it's really a corollary to the, to the main point. The main point is that science makes it impossible to believe that there is no God, no designer, no creator. Um, the biblical archaeology is a side issue to say, oh, and by the way, uh, there's been a level of corroboration that is is astonishing. I mean, that makes the Schliemann stuff look like nothing. And believe me, that's um, I'm not overstating it. But the third part of the book, I deal with atheism itself and with the idea that I mean, actually, before I say that, Einstein, okay, you don't think of him as an insecure guy, pretty famous, right? But before he was really famous, he himself bought into the narrative, okay? 1911, he comes up with these equations uh, that lead to his uh, next theory of relativity, and they imply that the universe is expanding, which means that the universe started from a point, which means the universe was created out of nothing. This so disturbs the great Albert Einstein that he fudges it. Uh, and basically says, like, don't don't look at that. Forget about that. Okay? Because he knew that his scientific colleagues had already uh, in the first decades of the 20th century bought in to this idea that faith and science are at odds. So if something smacks of a biblical view of creation, it made him terribly uncomfortable. Now, a couple of decades after this, because of, you know, the 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 Russian uh, Jew freedman and the Belgian Catholic priest. Lemaitre and then the American Edwin Hubble, they all were able to see that, in fact, it's correct. The universe is, in fact, expanding. So Einstein says this was the greatest blunder of his life. He, he hung his head in shame over this for years because the science led and the math led to the idea that the universe is expanding and it was created, but it was so unpalatable in the scientific community. And I don't think we've moved from there. I think the scientific community you have a lot of scientists that are afraid to speak up. Uh, there are a lot of scientists that actually do believe, but they, they, they won't talk. And I think it's funny because that narrative has carried us basically since Darwin till today. And I'm here to say the paradigm is shifting. Uh, we need to look at this kind of stuff. And if you find somebody like Sir Anthony Flew, I mean, he wrote the greatest textbook on atheism, you know, in the 20th century. At the end of his life, it was science that led him to believe there had to be an intelligent creator. And he made his his uh, fans furious because they worshipped him as the arch atheist. So it's complicated, but I, I take your point. So, Will, I want you to ask if you have one, one final question, and let Eric summarize the point of his book. Because we don't usually do this, but he has a hard stop. But the, the topic is so heavy, I want us to finish the hour talking. You're on, you're on mute, uh, Will. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the one question, Eric, that you're going to be asked a lot, and I don't think any of us are wildly hostile toward Christianity on the panel. I'm but a Christian. It, good. <laughs> Since no one else says it, I'll say it. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're pretty common here in the West. It's generally been a good thing. But I mean, no, but I, I think the question is going to be, how could any of this possibly demonstrate the existence of the biblical God? I mean, so the, the atheist... I, I, I remember think you missed the no, no, remember, I didn't say that. The point of the book is not to demonstrate the existence of the biblical God. I think that that will follow. I mean, that follows as you go. The, but all I'm trying to do in the book is to say that atheism, qua atheism, is no longer tenable. Agnosticism, discussing what kind of God there would be. Who is this intelligent designer that Sir Anthony Flew discovered? He didn't discover the God of the Bible, but he said there is a God. Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus, both of them knew God existed. They had been atheists. Well, there are many so people saying that is say when people cavalierly talk about atheism, they should be talking about agnosticism, There's not a, atheism. The atheist response from Dawkins and so on would simply be that what you're describing is just the Big Bang Theory. It's the pinhole beginning of the universe. It expands outward. And I've, I've heard both sides of the debate about this. Hitchens versus, was it the Archbishop of Canterbury? So everyone agrees the universe started in a smaller place that it currently occupies. The two questions would be, would the expansion outward from that point imply a God, which is itself contested? And two, would that be... The biblical God. It implies Why would it be God so strongly. This is anecdotal, but it it, it implies the, the Big Bang implies a God so strongly that no less than Albert Einstein shook in his boots that he would lose his reputation if he pointed to the idea that we don't have a steady state universe, that we had a universe that was created. This battle went on all through the 20th century. So there is just no question that now you have atheists like Dawkins who that where are they going to go? Who doesn't believe the Big Bang happened? So they act like, oh, it just happened. Well, then you explain to me, Richard Dawkins, how is it possible that science can point us to a point 13.8 billion years ago where the laws of physics cease to exist? There is no time. There is no space. The point is he can't do it. No one can do it. Well, his reply uh, I mean, to that I, is just, where did God come from? I mean, so it's an endless cycle. If you say there could be no point before the laws of it's physics. Not, it's not an endless happen. cycle. God exists eternally. The universe doesn't, period. Well, the universe exists eternally. I mean, That's it's, preposterous. The Big Bang happened 13.8 billion years ago. It didn't exist before that point, and we know that. So, well, I guess the point is, you're saying that something existed before the universe that you refer to as God that made the universe. Dawkins's question, which I've heard in person, if I recall, is, well, where did this God come from, a being as complex as the universe? So, I mean, the, I don't think that there but is just a... Just because Dawkins has one good question. Listen, on, on all this stuff, I lost respect for Dawkins. I write about him at the end of the book. He has said many silly things. And, and on, the, on the issue of science, I respect him. On the issue of philosophy of science, I cannot take him seriously. But I was going to say that just asking a good question, like, where does God come from, uh, you know that might be a mystery that nobody will answer. But just because we have a good question doesn't mean that we don't have a near infinity of evidence on the other side that bears looking into. And you cannot shut down that conversation just by saying, where does God come from? We, we know if you're a scientist, you know that there are endless dimensions and that uh, even talking about cause and effect that, you know, like uh, what happened right before the Big Bang? Well, there was no before because time itself, as we know it, was created then. So it couldn't does the energy a for the Big Bang just have, couldn't the energy for the Big Bang just have entered this universe from another dimension? I mean, like the dimensionality theory is generally an agnostic theory in physics. Well, I mean, yeah, the answer to that is uh, perhaps, absolutely. I don't, I certainly don't know. All I talk about is the story of the Big Bang, the fine-tuned universe, abiogenesis, 
Uh, and I do make the case principally from abiogenesis, uh, from the theory of abiogenesis, that life came out of non-life four billion years ago on planet Earth randomly. I think that is now demonstrably preposterous, not just probably false, but preposterous. And I think the fine-tuned universe similarly points to design at a level that is so overwhelming. If you don't at least take it seriously, I don't know how you can have a conversation. Well, we, we unfortunately have to leave it there. You have to come back when you have more time so we can actually. <laughs> actually, I would, listen, I, this kind of conversation, I love it. And forgive me, Wilfred, for not having the time because this is very important stuff. Very, very important stuff. And I appreciate your conversation. Well, well, let's, let's do it and make it happen. I will do it again. Let's reschedule and, okay. and we'll just keep talking. I, I do appreciate it. I would love it. All right. He is Eric Metaxas, author of the new book, Is Atheism Dead? Thanks, Eric. So, Will, I knew that you would bring some wonderful addition to it, but you came in late, so you kind of lost that part. But cause, because you start you're in the limited amount of time, you were arguing something he had already said. So, but so, but but we we should talk further about that. I think that that people would you know want to hear your, your full views of that. But because you're arguing, you were arguing the the circular issue, right? Well, I can just say this and that. But his point was. I don't know if you did. Well, let's start there. How do you define yourself, atheist or agnostic? Uh, well, I define myself as a lapsed Catholic, half jokingly. I mean, like many you know, urban upper middle class men, I'm perfectly right. glad to go to church and show the good Lord respect two days a year, as God intended. <laughs> um, in terms of practical questions, I think on many things I'm agnostic. If you so I'm very I'm very into uh, African history being quite pro black, although on the right. And there, there's massive support for all of these ancient legends, right? Like, I mean, there, there's the legend of Great Zimbabwe, the palaces built by the kings in the southern jungle. And it was just, I mean, the white opponents of the tribesmen who said this thought it was nonsense. They found all the Zimbabwe's a couple of years ago. There's a country called Zimbabwe. I mean, I, I tend to think that when you have highly intelligent people like the Romans or the West Africans or the Jews that have this story that goes back for a thousand years, the odds of it being false are almost zero. That's, right. so that's what I think is important. What I wanted you to, because to, I, I was, if, if we had more time, I would have challenged some of the things and asked, you know, alternative questions. But you, you came in hot, which is good. But it was like, but how do you prove it? His whole point was like, but I'm not proving. I'm not proving. The book is literally not proving. He was really drawn. And, and I liked it because I used to ask the same questions. And I talked to some, you know, we've had several atheists on the show. And I talked to some of them. And I went to, remember where we were out in Boston? And, and I don't think you weren't there at the time. I was having a discussion with a group of people about I'm surprised at how many atheists I'm finding in this fight against the left and this craziness or whatever and some of them are vocally saying that, you know I'm not I'm an atheist but you know we need the strength of these Judeo-Christian values and while I said that well two people at the table like oh me too right so it's like nine of them and I'm like well tell talk and they, they, they educated me of a of a more nuanced definition so I was like like you're saying, that atheists believe, I know there is no God, and agnostic people are saying, well, I simply don't know, right? But they were saying, no, what we're saying is we know for sure that we don't have a belief. So they were drawn, even drawing a line between themselves and, and the four horsemen, as it were, right? You know, so they, they were drawing a distinction between the two. And, you know, normal people won't know the difference be between any group. So I think he's trying to say, as more science and more, you know, archaeological finds dictate that certain things from the biblical perspective are true, 
you know, it makes it a little harder to say, I know for a fact. Can someone go out and say, I know for a fact, which I think you agree. You, it's hard to say, I know for a fact there is no God. And right, right before you came on, Shamika and I, we were talking about how in the book he talks about these certain finds. And you say, and we'll say that, you know, Troy and others, they found the stuff they know is true. But there are people who say, I know, we all know people, let's be real, that say, you know, the whole Bible is a fairy tale, right? There, there are people out there who say that. And so, so we, I just asked them, well, what do you think and what do people say when they do, when we say we don't know things and then they find things and the things that they find kind of proves the the, the possibility or never, never disproves. It's always, you know, proving more of what we thought. So that's kind of where we were going and what I was asking. I have a question. Yep. So are you saying that he wrote the book and he just happens to be a Christian? Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I, I think that he wrote it because as a Christian, I mean, I, I wish he was here. I can't speak for him. No, I won't speak out as a Christian, but don't make me hear it. No, but I would think, but I was asking him why he wrote the book, right? But I, I would assume that he has a belief. So as a Christian, I believe this stuff. These atheists think I'm, I'm you know, some crazy baddie person who's believing this, this fairy tale. So as we find more science that, that points to the improbability that it could be luck, or as we find more stuff that proves these stories aren't completely made up. Not like I, I asked him the question. I said, what do you say to the people who say, okay, fine. So the story was the people in the story, Hezekiah, whomever, you found out that that person is, really existed in that particular time. But it doesn't mean the story itself is true. Right. right. But what did he say? He said, I'm not saying it does. But, you know, that guy who was pointing at me as a crazy person believing fairy tales said the whole thing was untrue. So I think he's trying to say that as we find out more, it gives Christians more credibility. I don't think it gives Christians more credibility. <laughs> what do you think it does? I mean, I think it just says, okay, these these stories are true. It would be right, like but, but the stories are in the, the stories are in the forget about no. Christian religion, not, not Christian, because it's in the Jewish Bible too. So it's it's it's, it's you talking about both you know the Torah Jews and the Christian Bible are telling a story. So, so to not saying to you, but to some people who say all of that stuff was made up. So you're saying finding evidence that at the particular time that proves that at that time, not just that there was someone named X that lived at that time in that location, doesn't prove that. Not saying proves God prove doesn't prove that those stories uh, were weren't like you know stories written by Shakespeare. No, I, you said it gives Christians. More right. proof. I don't think so no, because no, no. Christians believe a certain thing. So they believe a certain thing surrounded by or based upon what the Bible says. Right. So the Bible doesn't give the Bible more proof. No, because there are some things in the Bible that, like I said, they put a little, I feel, well, right. put some boosters on. But you said some things. So, so I'm saying, but you, you're not being fair because you're twisting what I'm saying. No, no, I no. Said, no, no. Let me ask the question again. You can say, you respond. I said to the person who's a Christian, they say, I believe this book. The person who reacts to him say, everything in it is Shakespeare. Does finding things that are in it, that are timestamped, solidify what's in the book? No. So none of it. No. So what does it prove? I think it's like, no. Uh, I don't want to jump in at all, but I mean, I, I don't think it proves anything. I mean, so the idea of whether there's a watchmaker God, like whether you can get this kind of complexity without a God is actually the best argument in kind of the Catholic toolbox. I've never really heard it proved. I've never really heard it rebutted. But I mean, when you get into the Bible, like the Bible is about as accurate as most other legends. 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's at, like the big stuff where they're like either war or a meteor strike destroyed a city at this specific point and we can locate the city. I'm not at all surprised that like Troy, they located the city. The question is what that means about one, the existence of God, and two, the other things in the Bible. Like, do you think that a man called Jesus walked across water and was born exactly on December 25th? Uh, and I think a lot of people are going to say, no, I, I don't believe that. I'm, I'm at least agnostic about this. Is there a place called hell? And this, this gets into a lot of the stuff having been added to, I mean, if you look at the Council of Worms and so on, the, the Arabic and Jewish, the uh, Aramaic word for virgin is almost exactly the same as the word for young woman. So a lot of these questions, like, was Jesus the product of a virgin birth? Without getting too wonky about this. All of, and in the actual language, all they're saying is that his mom was young. That's why she was married to a guy, Joseph, and why he has siblings and so on. So I don't think that this proves the Bible is real. It just proves, I, I agree with your point that people shouldn't laugh at it. Like, I think that the lack of respect from sort of the woke left we always criticize for the other great traditions, for the religious path, the martial arts path, for that matter, the, any of the any of the other ones uh, is kind of stupid. I don't think that I don't think they have more support for their arguments than the great theologians do. But the great theologians also didn't prove that there's a God. I don't I don't think knowing that Rome or Jerusalem existed in a certain period of time or even a more localized city like Sodom. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that proves that people spoke to gods and worked miracles and so on. It proves those cities existed at that time. Uh, yeah, I just think you all, have, I mean, we don't want to beat the dead horse, but are arguing a different point. Like, so we keep saying we're not saying that it proves God in, you, in your responses, but I don't think that proves God. <laughs> because I'm saying, did he just happen to be a Christian or was no, he no, really trying to, um, you know what I'm saying? Was he trying to say, hey, this is why I have more validity on, on my beliefs because these things prove that this stuff actually happened historically. So that's why, I mean, he, of course he's not here, but that's my question. Like, do you just, did you find these things and you're just happy, you just happen to be a Christian? Like, could a Buddhist have written the same book the, the same way and said, Hey, we're just really proving that these things actually happen, but not necessarily trying to say Christianity is the way to go. Yeah, but, but I don't think he said it pointed to, uh, Christianity outside of the uh, New Testament findings. I, I think he said it, it points to a God. Now you can say it doesn't, but I don't think he's saying it points to Christianity in that sense. But, you know, again, not speaking for him. But what do you say to the, you know, he's talking specifically to the, uh, I think, now at this point, his greater point I do understand is specifically to people who, who say whatever, you know, they defined it as saying, I know for sure there is no God. So he's speaking to them and saying, well, how can you say you know that? So I don't think the response to, to the person who's saying, I know 100% sure that there is no God can be like, well, you didn't prove there was a God, right? So, so leaving it unknown is different from saying, well, I know that that, I know I can prove, which while say using, I can't prove any of this to say I can prove some other. So, so I want to ask this though, then to, to, do, what do you say, and I kind of think I know what Will says, but what do you say to the people who, um, like he says, talk down to or the, who are excited about, who, who kind of like, that's what I was alluding to, the pe people who are hoping feverishly that, you know, that all of it is fake or that, you know, that um, they're, they're hoping that there's no God and hoping that, um, 
you know, this stuff is made up so they can, you know, I don't know what, or better, better still to the people who believe it, whether it's true or not. And they use that belief. They hang their belief on that as how they live their lives and the reason that they try to do good. Right. So, so the, the, the people with the fairy tale notion will say, these people are following this, this made up religion. And that's the only reason that they're, you know, trying to be nice to other people or not killing things of that nature. And so arguing that even if that's true, why is that a bad thing? <laughs> Would they prefer the alternative for the person to say, since there's no God and there's nothing telling me not to do X, that they, it's okay for them to do these bad things? If that's stopping that person from doing that, why are they so against it? Yeah, for me, that's not the issue. I think for, I, I don't have a problem with people believing whatever they want to believe. I think the issue for me comes in my experience that a lot of Christians are pretentious and that's that's annoying um especially like when I say how do you know these things are are true a lot of them like you can't really prove that so why feel like you're superior in what you believe so I actually accept people whatever they believe whether it's in in Christianity or if they're Buddhist or Muslim like I don't really care I saw a story about a guy who said he does crack every day you know I feel and he's a professor you know <laughs> so it's like if that's what you need to make it through the day and you're not hurting anybody then do what you feel like you need to do but I wouldn't feel like I was superior to him because I believe something different. And I think well, that that's the problem with me with a lot of people. But, but but what I would say to that is I think that, you know, to be fair to both Christians or any religious um, uh, person and to some agnostics of whatever they believe or how, if they label themselves atheists, is I think that we do. It's, it's the same thing we do in politics is that we label a group of people based on you know certain characteristics that we find in other people so it's like he he you know, some people will assume that all people who are non-believing who are agnostic or atheists are militant atheists who are hoping for your demise and all christians right it's like hoping that you know god strikes you all down which but i think that most people whether they're Christian or they're atheists, or probably like you two and just like do whatever you want to do. That's fine. We're listening to the lie. No, you're like, no, yes, they are. Yes, they <laughs> no, are. They are not. They are trying to convert you constantly. Well, Jews don't even proselytize. So you're only talking about Christians right I'm there. Talking, so that's, that's well, then maybe the I'm talking about black Christians in the <laughs> See, so you're admitting it's a smaller group of people. It's not Christians as a whole, and definitely not all people who believe that there's one God. Yeah, not all people that believe that is one God, but we <laughs> so black Christians. Black Christians are woo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. So I, I, you know, but but at the end of the day, people are still people, whether they're atheist, Christian, or whatever. So they're they're still going to be flawed, and they're still going to do what they do. But I mean, you know, this an hour is not enough time to have this conversation. But um, I'm I'm glad we were able to do so, and. Um, when he comes back, you know, we're going to schedule a time where we have a whole hour and you could beat Eric over the head with the Eric specific questions. That's well, why did he do this, child? I don't know. I mean, you read it, so I was just, you know. I read, I read yeah. some of it. What'd you say, Will? I read some of it. See, I mean, he read some of it. Well, then that's that evens better because he came in so strong because he read some of it. Great. <laughs> Well, maybe by then you could you could kind of you know scan through it or something. But uh, 
you know, I guess we'll leave it there and we'll hang it out there. And I know uh, this, like our colonialism episode, is going to get a lot of uh, a lot of comments. So, um, you know, mostly me, I, I would assume, because, you know, I see on Twitter people already have their views on Will. And, uh, you know, I guess we uh, learned that we don't all have to agree on everything, right? Thank you all for oh, listening. Wait, before well. you go, oh, guys. So just don't leave it. Go. Oh, wait. We can we can end and then I have an offline question. Oh, you know what? You don't want us to record. You want to be offline? Yeah, offline. Okay. Well, thank you for watching and listening, and I'll catch you next week. Patriot J, I'm saving the day. Patriot J, I'm saving the day from you commies who let know you get for me. I got a country to save. God bless the U.S. of A. Land of the free and a home of the brave. God get all of the praise. I got a country to save because I'm Patriot J and I'm saving the day. <laughs>